Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. Today, we have a very special guest, Stefan, from the Chagos Network. The Chagos is a small archipelago in the Indian Ocean, and its story at first will sound like a conspiracy theory, but I can assure you that every word is true. So, Stefan, do you want to tell us a little bit about your work with the Chagos Support Network? Sure. Um, so, I volunteer with UK Chagos Support Association, um, which is uh, a entirely voluntary group of people here in the UK uh, who are interested in supporting the exiled Chagosian community, um, both in their fight for justice, the right to return, citizenship, law, reform, and all the things, and also in adapting to the challenges that their pretty unique history uh, has uh, provided the community and continues uh, to provide the community, and generally raising awareness of and support for the cause. So I ask everyone to listen to this episode with an open mind, Because some of the things we uncover will first sound like a conspiracy theory, but Mm -hmm. we have documents, fully documented, to prove everything. Okay, um, do you want to start with where is the Chagos Archipelago? Sure. Uh, So the Chagos Archipelago is in its fairly remote set of islands in the Indian Ocean, sort of blue India nearish to the Maldives uh, and with Seychelles and Mauritius several hundred or maybe even over a thousand miles away. So they are quite remote islands, but in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um, And so in the 1950s, how many people lived there? Uh, So at its peak, there were around 2,000 people there uh, when uh, the Chagossian population were forcibly removed, which I'm sure we'll come to. It was around 1,600 And there had been a population on the island since the late 18th century uh, when they were initially brought there as slaves to work on uh, the plantations there, sugar at the time, and later um, copra, coconuts. And it was a British protectorate, right? Uh, Yeah, it was initially a a French colony, but in 1814 it was uh, given to the British as, as part of a treaty in the Napoleonic Wars, and it remained a British colony, uh, later overseas territory, well, until today, uh, but uh, certainly up until the uh, Chagossian population were removed. Okay, so the biggest island is Diego Garcia, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so during the Cold War, the U.S. wanted to build a military base on Diego Garcia. So the U.S. ambassador at that time sends a letter to the British ambassador asking for permission. Do you remember what the British ambassador says? Yes. Um, so this is, again, one of those, um, as you say, documents that can sound like a conspiracy, but it's actually entirely in the public domain and it is not denied at all. But um, 
there was the as you rightly say the the US uh, and and the British were looking for a base in the Indian Ocean during the Cold War. Several were actually discussed previously. Our islands were considered, but actually rejected because they were considered uh, too valuable environmentally. And there's no island called Alebra, I think, which is uh, was considered but rejected because it had a valuable uh, tortoise population that uh, it was endangered. Um, so they came on the Chagos Islands and the US officials, speaking to the British officials in what are now publicly available documents, asked about these islands, the, the Chagos Archipelago. They asked if they were populated and the, the British official responded that, well, yes, it would be very good for a military base, apart from the fact that, um, and I think this is the quote, with the islands come a few Man Fridays and Tarzans, um, which was their derogatory term, obviously, for the Chagossian people. But he was within that document quite confident that these people could be removed, even though they were British subjects in the same way people in this country are now, in the same way people in the Falkland Islands were when this country fought a war to protect uh, their right to live in their islands. Um, but Chagossians were dismissed as Tarzans and Man Fridays, uh, less valuable than wildlife that was on our animals. And for anyone who doesn't know the context, I, I don't think many people would say it's a coincidence that the Chagossian population are uh, African Creole and um, Asian uh, population. So there's a, a fair bit of obvious racism within that assessment, I would say. Okay, so at that point... It seems like Her Majesty's government sent a memo calling for a depopulation. Sure. So the depopulation in the end happened over several years. Uh, So the initial instruction was basically that these all the population of this island would be removed. I think swept and sanitized was the wording they used. Again, not really treating Chagossians as human beings, but as an obstacle to constructing this military base, which I think actually it's not even necessary. They could have remained, as I think most modern military commentators would say. Um, but the depopulation then started uh, basically as a process of Chagossians would often have connections in Mauritius or the Seychelles. So if someone had left there for medical treatment or to uh, visit family, they simply wouldn't be allowed back. Um, They would be told the islands had closed. The copra plantations that were there, which uh, many Chagossians worked on, were were bought up and then closed down by the British government. So it became more difficult to survive. They're hoping that people would leave of their own accord. But many people remained for quite a long time after that. Eventually, food supplies were restricted, uh, medical supplies were restricted. So there's a process over from sort of early 60s through to the early 70s um, of making life progressively more difficult for people on the Chagos Islands. They were eventually all removed from Diego Garcia, but left on some of the outer islands. Um, before you go to the removal, do mm. you want to talk about the pet holocaust? Um, sure, I, I think you referred to one of the, again, tactics that were used yeah. to encourage Chagossians to leave the islands was um, 
Oh, the there are quite a lot of Chagossians would have generally at least one pet dog uh, on the islands and um, various pieces of livestock, um, cows and donkeys, that sort of thing, chickens. Uh, but particularly, I think the one that sticks in people's mind and indeed in Chagossian's mind was um, as part of encouraging Chagossians to leave the island, uh, pet dogs were rounded up and uh, gassed um, using some military equipment that was there and, and put into a, to a shed. And I've, I've spoken to Chagossians who say that one of the reasons when they did agree to leave the islands was they thought if they would do this to a dog, would they do it to me? And yeah, that, that made um, the Chagossian I was speaking to, their parents said, well, I don't want to risk my child's life if they'll do this to a dog. Um, and considering what they'd seen over the past four years um, and more than that, um, I suppose that's, that's understandable. Um, but yeah, so it's a very brutal example of some of the tactics were used to force Chagossians to leave their islands. Um, they also burnt crops, right? So that they would be starved? Uh, there are certainly restrictions on food, um, food that was brought from the outside. Um, yeah, I know livestock was destroyed. Um, I've not, not heard about crops, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Uh, okay, so the last batch of Chagossians agreed to leave... But what did the British government promise them? Like, what was the compensation they promised them for when they went to Mauritius or Seychelles? Yeah, I, I would say it's probably not quite true to say they agreed to leave. Um, it was a forcible, they didn't have a choice. Um, but yeah, they were promised compensation. Uh, they were promised housing. Um, many were promised there would be jobs, like they were leaving in their new homes. Um, but in short, they didn't receive uh, any of that. Um, some Chagossians deported to Mauritius eventually received some compensation, but several years later, and I mean five, six, seven years later than that on some occasions, um, which understandably by by that time, um, considering these people had been literally left on the docks in what was a, a foreign country um, to most of them, uh, they had often fallen into debt. Um, they were really struggling living in shacks on the street in really very poor conditions. Um, so the, the pretty minimal compensation they eventually got was often just used to pay down debts. And yeah, it, it didn't really, obviously it became far too late to actually help them adjust to to exile. Um, and that's, yeah, one of one of the biggest betrayals, I think, of the story, actually, and which is perhaps forgotten about a bit, is the complete neglect of Chagossians in exile after uh, the British authorities had deported them. Yeah, so they, from what I see pictures of, they were living in shanty towns and they didn't have houses and a lot of them were forced to work as prostitutes and things like that in Mauritius, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yes, in the, especially in the first couple of decades after the deportations, Chagossians lived in some terrible circumstances in Mauritius, and that's, that's still the case to some extent today. But um, yeah, it was a very, very tough. A lot of there a lot of people died of of their well associated issues with poverty, um, and a lot of Chagossians were was tell you that they died of what they would call sagra, which is uh, a, a word for sadness, essentially. It doesn't really translate, but uh, in the in their Creole language of 
I guess, kind of trauma of uh, how, what they'd underwent. They should have had British passports, right? Like they sh- should have been treated just like every other British citizen, right? Yeah. Um, so if people born in the Chagos Islands uh, would have a British passport called at the time a British subject passport, the same as uh, residents of our overseas territories. And today um, they'd be you know, regarded essentially as British citizens and have the right to become British citizens. Uh, if, yeah, if they were born on the islands. So what happened to the U.S. base? Is it still operating? Yeah, that's still there. So uh, in that initial agreement we, we mentioned earlier, the U.S. base was permitted to be there for 50 years. That um, expired in 2016, but that was then renewed for another 20 years. So it'll be there at least that long. It was renewed for 20 years by President Obama? Um, yeah, yeah, he would have been in office at the time. Um, yeah, so, yeah, uh, the two governments signed that off in 2016 at the same time as the British government confirmed that they wouldn't support Chagossians returning to the island after a four-year policy review that had been considering that. Um, so that was, that was obviously disappointing for the Chagossian people. So so these people are still in exile. They just want to go back home. And what was the reason that the British government said no to allowing them to return? Um, well, the two main reasons given in the policy announcement in 2016 um, were economic factors and defense concerns. And you would strongly dispute both of those in that there was an extensive independent feasibility study done into return, uh, commissioned by the Foreign Office, which uh, studied all this in detail. It did give costings for what a renewed Gaussian settlement could cost. Um, it was estimates started from 64 million over th- three years, which is a tiny part of any government budget, certainly the British International Development Budget, um, that would, uh, which is, I think, over 7 billion. So that that's really nothing in terms of costings. Um, if if you have to reduce it to this uh, massive historical injustice of your own citizens to cost analysis, um, it it's still really quite small fry. The security concerns again doesn't make an awful lot of sense either. As as part of the consultation, Chagossians confirmed they'd be happy to work the U.S. military base. They had no objection to the base continuing to be there. And almost every other U.S. military base, and there's a lot of them around the world, uh, has an, an adjacent civilian population. And that doesn't really seem to cause any problems. It, it actually, in a way, makes it more secure as you have a stable local population that can uh, work the civilian jobs on the base. Um, so one of the ironies is, at the minute, there's a massive civilian population at all times on Diego Garcia, but it's um, made up of migrant workers from the Philippines and Sri Lanka who have to come in because you need any, any facility that big needs people to work in the kitchens, people to work in uh, jobs within the airport. Yeah, all sorts of support staff, essentially. The dot IO domain that so many websites have belongs to Chagos. Like, are the Chagosians getting any money from that? Uh, no, in short, <laughs> they're not. Yeah, it's 
it's a strange coincidence, I suppose. It's become quite a popular um, web domain and with a lot of tech firms. But no, Chigasians don't get any money from that. It's not entirely clear. He does get money from that. The government say it's been sort of contracted out to a private firm. Um, so it's not even clear how much money is raised from it. Working with some uh, tech firms a couple of years ago, we did set up a scheme where users of that domain um, can donate to ourselves or our Chagos support groups to a sort of an equivalent value of their .io domain. Um, and yeah, I'd encourage uh, anyone using that domain or you know someone uh, using that domain to find out a bit more about that. You can go to it's uh, the dark side of .io. Uh, the website is called, and there's a scheme uh, that some of those uh, tech firms kindly support where you can um, pledge to match the cost you pay for your .io um, with actually helping the people represented by that domain. Uh, just so you know, um, .tv domain is owned by Tuvalu, and they get millions and millions of dollars of royalty every year. For the .tv mm. domain, they've built roads, hospitals, and things like that with that domain. So it, it seems like I'm trying to understand the silence. Like, why is there a media blackout in the U.S. about Shagos? Why doesn't it, I know you may not be able to answer, but why don't more people know about this horror? Um, yeah, it's, it's not a, an easy question to answer. Um, I, I can't really speak for the US too much as I don't live there. Um, but I, I suppose in part there's a little more attention that's still not that well known in the UK because there is a, a population here now. Um, I think if you're going to tell the story of Chagossians, um, you have to, there's quite a lot to explain. You have to explain who they are, where the Chagos Islands are, most people don't know that. Uh, then you have to explain the history, then you have to explain the situation today um, so I think sometimes for journalists it's not it's not an easy story to write in a couple of hundred words it's a small population as well um, so perhaps that doesn't help get any attention in short I don't know I think it's a, it's a very powerful story it would be great if it was maybe picked up a bit more by some of the big campaigning NGOs or uh, who could do some work on this but yeah, it, it's a shame it's not more wild, widely known, considering it is a pretty unique story in our fairly recent history. Um, both US, UK, and the you know, Mauritius, Seychelles, where Chagossians ended up. So um, there have been a series of UN litigations against the UK. Mm. So can you talk about what happened there and what did the UN decide? And what is the UK doing in response? Yeah, well, this is probably, um, since I've been involved in this, the most attention that the uh, Chagos Islands story has got was, in the last few years, uh, Mauritius, which has always had a uh, sovereignty claim over the Chagos Islands. They remain British territory, and obviously the Americans use them, but Mauritius has always maintained that it's part of their country, as it was administered from there and at times the Seychelles uh, during the colonial period. So um, in the last year and a bit, uh, Mauritius first took that case to the International Court of Justice and the International Court of Justice um, almost unanimously supported them. 
and backed up their claim that the way the modern British Indian Ocean Territory, as it's called, was created was illegal. Um, and that's basically because at the time when, when Britain was giving Mauritius its independence, it retained the Chagos Islands, um, which was against international legal principles at the time. But that's not what you should be doing. Mauritius so has claimed that that was then taken to a UN a General Assembly vote earlier this year at which uh, a motion was presented, supported by Mauritius and a lot of its allies, that uh, the UK should cede uh, the Chagos Islands uh, to Mauritius within six months and yeah, give up all control of the islands. And that passed again with a, a huge majority uh, to Mauritius. Um, only, I think, five other countries voted with uh, the United Kingdom, uh, including the United States. Um, so that's neither of those judgments, it's worth saying, are binding in an international legal sense. Uh, Britain can actually be compelled to give up the islands um, and has not shown any indication that it will do so. The And that six-month deadline from the vote is actually uh, in the middle of the next month. Um, so that is coming up. I'm not expecting anything in particular to happen, but who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, it's certainly something I think the, the Mauritian government will understandably continue to pursue, um, particularly as they have promised that if they got control of the islands, they would uh, allow Chagossians to return uh, to the islands. But I mean, aside from that, it is actually, it's kind of the... The, matter, the subject matter is, I guess, more of a sovereignty dispute between Mauritius and the UK, um, although the Chagossian story has featured quite a lot in the coverage of it, which at least has been positive in uh, raising a bit of awareness, uh, certainly in this country, of the Chagossian people's history. Do the Chagossian people themselves have a claim of human rights? There are and have been um, cases in the British courts around... Yeah, on human rights grounds and um, the right to self-determination, the right to yeah live in their own country, challenging the legality of first the deportation and then the refusal in 2016 to allow them to go back. Um, that is separate from the what's been happening at the UN level, which is more to do with the sovereignty of the islands between those two nation states. But... Um, there is still a case uh, in the British courts, um, which is going to the Court of Appeal in the next few months, likely, a date hasn't been confirmed, which will be challenging yeah, more on the Chagossians' human rights to return to their country and arguing that um, the government's present uh, position and past recent past decisions not to allow return is not actually legal. Is there a chance of success because it is in a UK court? Um, Chagossians have won in UK courts in the past um, and I, I won't go into the whole legal history as it's, it's been going on for about 20 years now but generally they've won at the lower levels and then have lost appeals at higher levels on one occasion in 2004 again one of the more infamous moments in the recent history uh, relatively recent history was the government initially lost in the high courts said that the action of Expulsion had been illegal. Uh, Chagossians were entitled to return as, a, as part of their human rights. The government said they wouldn't appeal that, and they didn't. And, but in 2004, 
they introduced a new law um, which said that Chagossians couldn't live on their islands. So that essentially made the court verdict null because this new law had been brought in um, that hadn't went through Parliament, uh, just been signed off by officially by the royal family, the Queen, which again, that's not very accountable in a democratic sense. So, yeah, the, the legal history has been long and, and difficult and success certainly isn't assured. Um, but equally, yeah, there have been legal successes, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Thanks for listening to Historically. Go to our Substack at historically.substack.com and subscribe to get lots of newsletters, all of our podcasts, and support our show. Thank you. Has there been any attempts to hold the U.S. government accountable since it's half their fault too? Um, yes, and I suppose one of the issues is there's not really a Chagossian population in the U.S. to my knowledge, certainly not a, a community in the same way there is in the UK, Seychelles and Mauritius. Um, so it's perhaps harder for uh, Chagossians themselves to directly lobby uh, the US government. But I know kind of equivalent of our own group of non-Chagossians who try and support the cause. There are uh, some of those in the US who have written to senators and congressmen, uh, even two presidents, and tried to put a bit of pressure on that way. I think it is harder to to raise that awareness in the US. It's, you know, a bigger country. It's obvious thing to say, but it is the case. With a, a lot of international military commitments, a lot of uh, concerns around that, and it, it doesn't have that uh, direct connection where, you know, MPs can stand up in our parliament and say that um, they have Chagossian citizens who are pushing them for this, and you don't really get that in the US, I guess. But there are, yeah, there are supporters, in, in short, who are trying to raise awareness in the US as well. Okay. Um. In the meanwhile, like, what has the U.S. been doing in Diego Garcia? What What goes on inside that base? Uh, well, it's been very active military base. Uh, continues to be. It was used in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan um, as a base for the sort of fighter planes. Um, it yeah, it's it's used as a sort of surveillance post as well. It's Yes, it's very big, very active um, base, and I I think that's both reasons it was signed off for at least another 20 years. And um, yeah, it's a a big hub for the US military in that part of the world, and there's also a British presence there as well. So up until the Cold War, they were saying they needed it for the Cold War, and then now they're saying they needed it for the war on terrorism. So they're making up new excuses? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it will be actively used. Um, I, I'm sure that is true. It's also relatively near, I guess, China's sphere of influence. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to speculate on what the the US military wants to do there um, or US administration, but um, I think it is genuinely a a valuable base for them um, in terms of Chagossian interests. Um, I, I just repeat that I don't... There's absolutely nothing incompatible with a Chagossian population on the islands and uh, the continued presence of the US military there. And in fact, I think it's complimentary. There's not really been any uh, indications from 
the US military publicly anyway that they object to Tugosian return. It's always been, uh, their line has simply been that it's British sovereign territory and they'll make the decision on it. Again, what's said behind closed doors, who knows, but um, that is the public position. So the Shogosians are okay with the military base and they've already compromised. So the only thing that's stopping them is some mysterious reason the British government won't let them go back, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, Shogosians. And when consulted um, pretty recently, had that no problem with the presence of the US military base. Um, the base itself takes up about a third of Diego Garcia. So in all the planning that went into that feasibility study I mentioned earlier, uh, the, there's plenty of space for an hour settlement on Diego Garcia, which could be the main return to Gaussian settlement. And of course, there's also uh, lots of other islands that were formerly populated which are several hundred miles away um, across quite choppy ocean. So there's absolutely no way you could claim a population there could be a security threat to Diego Garcia, even if yeah, you wanted to. So yeah, the, the reasons for not supporting Chagossian return, um, perhaps it comes down to just a lack of political will to do that, a lack of um, commitment to, as I said, I don't think the amount of money you'd have to spend would be actually very significant but yeah i don't really know why uh, the british government is not committed to it but um their publicly stated position has been it's about money and security so have you spoken to any chagosians like what they think like should happen to like what their opinion is on the right of return and things like that yeah i think nearly any chagosian I've spoken to in fact all chagosians i've spoken to certainly want the right to return um and, and you know feel very acutely that that's still an injustice that they suffer to this day. Um, It's not that every Chagossian would want to go back and live on the islands. Um, Certainly hundreds of them um, would want to try that. And people of all age ranges, including uh, the now older people who um, were born on the islands, but also their children and grandchildren who have not lived there, but um, still have a sense of that as being there homeland and would like to try and build a life there as um, as a result of the deportations. It's still a community that uh, struggles with poverty, with um, lack of opportunity, with um, the various challenges that come from being a migrant first to the two Mauritius and then to the UK. So yeah, lots, lots of Chagossians would like the opportunity um, to return. Lots of Chagossians would also like more meaningful support um, from uh, the UK government to actually adjust to the consequences that they live with of uh, the UK government's actions. As one of the things the UK government often does say, it will admit that this was a mistake, something that shouldn't have been done, and they've apologised, but they've offered very little in terms of meaningful support, um, either obviously not restoring the right to return, but also offered very little support in terms of helping Chagossians with the problems they face as a consequence of the deportations. And these consequences are like not being able to go to school and dying of illness because they were kind of just abandoned in Mauritius, right? They're serious consequences. Yeah, yeah, but very serious consequences. Um, yeah, like that. If you if you yeah, deport an entire population from a way of life that they knew, which was 
not a, a modern money economy, I suppose, in some ways. It was a lot of people worked on plantations, so they didn't have to pay rent. People could be quite self-sufficient in terms of they would catch fish, um, uh, grow their own crops, uh, and then just dump them in a, the docks of an industrial city in Mauritius. They're going to find it very hard to adjust, and that led to a lot, especially if you don't supply any of the support that you promised them. That combined with the trauma of the whole experience um, has led to a lot of poverty, which has continued down the generations. Chagossians uh, left the Mauritius and the Seychelles um, experienced a lot of discrimination. Um, they were regarded as Iwa in the local language, which basically means islander. They're dismissed as you know illiterate. They were not given good jobs. They often couldn't afford to go to school. So yeah, those are just immediate consequences and. There's also longer term consequences of the citizenship rights of Chagossians. So uh, a lot of Chagossians now live in the UK. They were going to an immigration reform about, or a citizenship law reform about 15 years ago. Uh, Chagossians born on the islands and their immediate children were uh, allowed British citizenship and could relatively easily get British passports. So a lot came to the UK to escape some of the poverty in Mauritius. Um, the and the Seychelles, but their children, uh, so the grandchildren of the people born on the islands, are not entitled to British citizenship because their parents weren't born on the islands because their grandparents were deported from the islands. So now we're in the awful situation, um, or at least lots and lots of Chagossians are, um, where they came to the UK maybe 10, 15 years ago with their children completely legally. They've been through the British schooling system. But at the age of you know 18 to 20, if they haven't got all their papers in order, if they haven't been through the expensive, expensive process of uh, naturalisation, um, their children, the grandchildren of those people deported from Chagos, are being threatened with deportation from the UK. They're treated like any other immigrant, even though their parent, perhaps both their parents are British citizens. Um, their grandparents were deported from the Chagos Islands, but they are yeah, threat, treated like any other immigrant, have to pay thousands and thousands, around £10,000 for the full process generally. Wow. Yeah, to, and as I said, this is a community that doesn't have a lot of money because of all the issues we've spoken about. So, And it has meant that, although it's a long, slow process already, uh, some Chagossian in their early 20s, late teens have been deported to Mauritius, uh, even though it's not a country they've lived in as an adult. It's often a country they left um, when they're really quite young and all their family are in the UK. And this is, again, a direct consequence of the deportation and the British government's failure to make the necessary adjustments as it'd be relatively easy to change the law, to give all Chagossian descendants the same rights they would have had if the deportations hadn't happened, which uh, the British government's commitment is to help Chagossians where they live now. Um, and that'd be a really easy change that we're, we're campaigning for them to implement. But uh, as of yet, uh, nothing has happened. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just no example of... Um, What's the excuse? I mean, since we know Germany deported a lot more people, Germany has that law saying that if your grandpa was a citizen and we forced you out, you can be a German. Like, what's the what's the excuse the British government is giving to not pass this law? Um, so, 
at the moment, we've been working with an MP uh, who represents a lot of Chagossians uh, to yeah, push for this legal change. Uh, he has met with um, several of the Home Secretaries who control immigration policy in this country. And they have said they are considering it. Um, that has been going on for a couple of years, though. So we'd like a bit more progress. I suppose probably the best chance of it happening is for it to be included in uh, a new immigration law, which the government has announced will come through. Um, you've probably heard that we're doing quite a lot with Brexit at the moment. So after Brexit, the plan is there will be an immigration law, a new one, that will, I suppose, in the first instance, deal with the consequences of Brexit. But um, that's where we'd hope to see the a legal change that allowed um old Chagossian descendants um the same rights as they would have had if the deportations didn't happen. The same rights as citizens of all overseas territories, which Chagos still is, um, have to access British citizenship in a, a relatively cheap and easy way. Would it make a difference if there was a Labour government versus Tory government? Or is this something that would be low priority on both? Um it Potentially would. Uh, in the last election, uh, the Labour Party did actually commit to supporting Chagossian return in its written manifesto, um, which was, I think, a milestone. I think any British major party, well, Labour or the Conservatives, had ever committed to that before. Um, I think that's partly because the, the current leader of the Labour Party is uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who has been involved in supporting the Chagossian people for many, many years before he became leader. So I think he knew the cause and the issue quite well. Um, so, yeah, it potentially could. Um, of course, you never know what happens when parties get into power, but we hope that um, in the next election, hopefully in the next election, we'll see all parties um, sign up to support this. Um, but, yeah, who knows? Um, what about, were any of the Chagosians deported during the Windrush um, scandal? Um not as a not in the same way as Windrush. Um, again, it's one of the, the things recently that has drawn some attention to uh, the Chagossian experience, as the Chagossians were being deported, but for the reasons um, I described a minute ago, uh, which is quite similar in some ways to slightly different from the Windrush situation, in that it's people who probably didn't have documents they needed or couldn't afford to get the citizenship uh, details they needed um, who were yeah being deported even though it would seem I think to any common sense person looking in on it that they have a very good claim to live in this country having been here for a long time having British heritage having um, suffered the consequences of colonialism so yeah I think there's certainly a lot of parallels there but in a it was a slightly different issue, and actually, it's often whereas Windrush, it was often the older generation um, who were facing these issues with Chagossians. It's actually often the younger generation, the grandchildren um, of the the original deportees. Um, but it did uh, cause a bit of interest in that a lot of journalists noticed the um, parallels between the two issues, which at least helped um, to get it on the political agenda a bit more. And some of the um, select committees in our parliament and um, notice this parallel and recommend it in reports that the Chagossian immigration issues um, should be addressed by the legal change uh, I mentioned earlier. 
I know the answer is probably yes, but is there like any racism involved in the delay? Um, I I think it's hard to argue that there is. Um, in that, yeah, yes, I think I think there is personally. Um, I think you you only have to look at the way different overseas territories have been treated. I don't think if Tagusians had been white, I don't think the deportation would have happened personally. Um, you know, we we fought a war. Um, well, the the UK government fought a war. Falkland Islands, right? For the Falklands, yeah, and um, for their right to self determination and to live on their islands. And you know, you only have to look at the language uh, in those documents referring to them as Tarzans and Man Fridays and people of obscure origin. Um, I think it's it's laced with pretty blatant racism. If they want to support your organization, where can they go to donate? Um, you can go to our website, which is chigossupport.org.uk. Um, and if you go to, I believe it's a Get Involved tab, you can. there's options to donate and uh, sign up to our newsletter, um, follow us on social media, um, and there's lots of resources there. And, you know, if you can share some of our videos and articles on social media, that always helps, um, you know, just to... Get the word out there a bit more, I suppose, um, which is always really valuable too. And if anyone from Bernie Sanders' campaign is listening, let him know that this is an important issue for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any politician you're speaking to, uh, try and get it, get it on their agenda, as it's you know it's something. If the US came out and took a position on this, I'm sure that would massively affect the future of the islands and the people. Absolutely. So people should write to their congressmen and write to their senators about yeah. this because, I mean, the U.S. is, it's half the U.S.'s fault. So we're not blameless or guilt-free. So we need to take responsibility too. Yeah, um, only, you know, Britain, the U.S. Um, are, are the two major parties in control of the islands at the moment. Um, so, yeah, certainly U.S. voices speaking up on this, I think, would make a massive difference. Can we use one of the audio clips from the website on this broadcast? Sure, yeah. Okay, we're going to, um, the audio clip I found is from this um, woman named Valentina. Like when they deported us, they gassed our pet dogs in front of us. We, our parents didn't want to go. When they are gassing the dog and they are feeling the pain of the dog dying, then the, my parents have a committee, a, a meeting, and say, "Okay, they are doing that to the dogs. Then it will be our kids. So we are scared for our kids. So we have to leave. Okay. And now in England, they are adoring their pet dog. Have um, uh, laws. And when I hear about that, my heart as a child, what they did to my pets." make me feel um, enraged against them mm -hmm. make me hate dogs what kind of dogs did you have well in the family on Sagos Island if there's four kids each kid has a dog okay. uh, or we have dogs and uh, um, cats as well the British government the, uh, they say that Paul Todd gave order to Mr. Paul Mounier so a Seychelles was from Seychelles, a white guy, and Mr. Moulinier gave order to the laborers' workers 
and he paid them to catch the dog and the British uh, the soldiers uh, secure the calorifer and put guys from a Land Rover and they put all the dogs, pets dog, in there during the afternoon. All the families were watching. You can feel and hear the dog screaming and dying in pain. They gas that dog and the parent after that have a committee, a meeting, a little meeting, group meeting and say, okay, they are doing this to the dog. Next day we'll do it to our kids. So we better go. A lot of this information is public because of WikiLeaks, right? Um, yeah, some, some of it. So there's kind of a combination of the, the law in this country, I think in the US as well, that after a certain amount of time, um, things become available in the public archive. So some of those um, leaked memos with the racist language about Man Fridays um, just came out in the sort of late 90s, I think, because after 30 years, stuff becomes available. One Thing, the main thing that came from WikiLeaks, which I suppose we didn't talk about, which might be interesting, is the creation of the Chagos Marine Protected Area in 2010, 2009. Oh, do talk about that. I, I, I didn't oh, know okay. about that. Explain. So um, that was there in 2009, the UK government created uh, what called a Marine Protected Area around the Chagos Islands. I think at the time it was the biggest in the world, it's roughly the size of France, covers the islands and loads of the surrounding seas. And it was a, what was called a no-take area. So broadly, um, no one is allowed to take any fish out of it. And it was presented as a, a conservation measure. Even at the time, a lot of Chagossians spoke out to say, hang on, doesn't this impinge on our rights uh, to return as Chagossians um, when they live there? Uh, took part in small-scale fishing, um, and small-scale fishing could be uh, either you know self self-sustaining largely, but uh, potentially to sell in very small quantities to their uh, in the community. Um, and does that not impinge on their right to return? Um, that was kind of brushed under the carpet. Gossians weren't really properly consulted. But then I think it became more controversial when a few years later, maybe not that long later. But uh, the WikiLeaks files came out, which revealed um, memos between, uh, again, US and UK officials, this time stating that part that with a US official reporting that he'd been told part of the reason the Marine Protect Area had been created was to stop Chagossians being able to return to their homeland, that this would essentially crush the uh, return campaign, which was still happening at the time. Um, and yeah, they said that, well, that's going to be one very good consequence of this zone. And yeah, that was one of the, the more dramatic uh, leaks that came out of the uh, WikiLeaks documents. I think actually, um, if you look at the detail of the marine protected area, it could be entirely workable with a return to Gossin population. Um, as for one thing, as I say, it's absolutely tiny amounts of fish that Geossians would be taking from the uh, sea and actually it doesn't don't big ships like the navy ships accidentally kill more fish like on a daily basis <sighs> probably um and actually on diego garcia uh although it's in theory uh well the the marine protected area doesn't apply um until about 
20 miles around uh, any of the islands. Um, so, and that's where Chagossians will be doing their fishing. And also, um, the US military are allowed to uh, take as many fish as they like, um, just for recreational fishing, um, not even you know to eat or anything. That's just one of the leisure activities on Diego Garcia for the military, is to be able to uh, take as many fish as they like. So um, I don't think... Actually, there's any environmental reason uh, Chagossians couldn't return. And again, that um, feasibility study um, from 2016 uh, completely backed that up. But yeah, it it was again an old sort of grim revelation that this ha- was being used, at least in, to some extent, as a measure to uh, stop Chagossians um, fighting in the courts and fighting politically for their really basic human right to live in their homeland. The more I listen to this story, the more infuriating it gets and the injustice of it. It just seems so wrong. Yeah, I think it's and um, it's worth reading the the WikiLeaks documents, even if it doesn't. um, The Marine Protected Area actually in its creation didn't really prevent Chagossian return. It's very frustrating to see the way that British officials still talk about Chagossians in not dissimilar terms to the way they were talked about in the same leaked document, well, uh, released documents from the 60s and 70s. Um, at one point, they quote the, the phrase Man Fridays again, um, referencing. Oh my God. Referencing. Man Fridays is from Robinson yeah, Crusoe, right? Yeah, and you know, in that he was a savage on an island. It's, you know, Robinson Crusoe's the classic colonial novel um, of the, the white man and the, yeah. The, the native who is subservient. Um, so yeah, is, and when you say, um, is, there, is there an element of racism in this? I think it's yeah, documents like that, um, both in the 60s and then in the, in the 2000s, 2009, 2010, the reveal, yeah, there must be, um, at, at least just in the attitude uh, and the way these people are talked about. Okay, so basically this WikiLeaks cable comes from the British ambassador, he's sending it to the Americans. And literally, first paragraph, without any pretense, let me read it. Her Majesty's government would like to establish a marine park or reserve, providing comprehensive environmental protection to the reefs and waters of the British International Ocean Territory. A senior foreign and Commonwealth office official informed Polkuns on May 12th. The official insisted that the establishment of a marine park, the world's largest, would in no way impinge on the U.S. government's use of the British Indian Ocean Territory, including Dio Garcia, for military purposes. He agreed that the U.K. and the U.S. should carefully negotiate the details of the marine reserve to assure that U.S. interests were safeguarded and the strategic value of the British Indian Ocean Territory was upheld. He said that the British Indian Ocean Territory's former inhabitants would find it difficult, if not impossible, to pursue their claim for resettlement on the islands if the entire Chagos Archipelago were a marine reserve. Ashley Smith, the Ministry of Defense's International Policy and Planning Assistant Head, Asia-Pacific, who also participated in the meeting, affirmed that they share the same concerns as the U.S. regarding security and would ensure that security concerns were fully and properly addressed in any proposal for the Marine Park. 
Roberts agreed, stating that the primary purpose of the British Indian Ocean Territory is security, but that Her Majesty's government could also address environmental concerns within its administration of the British Indian Ocean Territory. Smith added that the establishment of a marine reserve had a potential to be a win-win situation in both in terms of establishing situational awareness of the British Indian Ocean Territory. He stressed that Her Majesty's government sought no constraints on military operations as a result of the establishment of the marine park. However, Robert stated that according to Her Majesty's government, current thinking under the reserve there would be no human footprints or Man Fridays on the uninhabited island. This was in 2010. And um, these are Obama, just for people, um, as a reminder, racism didn't, like, these were Obama officials who were talking with the UK people. Um, yeah, yeah, it would be, I think, yeah. <laughs> Obama has been, it's kind of hard for people to re- reconcile what he did with how he presented himself. So I try to remind people as often as possible that, a lot of these horrible things happened with Obama, too. <laughs> so thank you so much, Stefan, for coming. And if there is anyone, uh, like, we want to keep the Chagos story alive. So if there's anyone else who wants to interview us who's from Chagos or who works with you, please let them let me know, because we would love to have them in addition. Sure, certainly. Um, yeah, I'll ask around. As I think it's always good to hear um, firsthand from Chagossians who have lived through this for the past, yeah, several decades. And I've been fighting this, often in many cases, more or less their entire adult lives. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, one of the good things about what I do is being able to speak to um, Chagossian community here, uh, just incredibly inspiring in their determination to, to fight on against, um, you know, two of the most powerful countries in the world for their own basic rights. Well, Cuba, Haiti, they've fought powerful countries and won, so there's a chance that the Chagosians can win too if we keep our if we all yeah, fight together. Exactly. Have a wonderful evening and thank you again for coming this late. I know it's five <laughs> hours ahead, but we appreciate no worries, it. Thank you very much for having me on. Music for this show is done by Rectech. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K. T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.